0: You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Good afternoon, this is John Corr and the Reverend C.L. Mitchell coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. And this is Living Truth, and we want to say hello uh, to all our listeners out there who have been listening from around the world. Uh, We want to say thank you, and we uh, uh, have been praying for you. We pray that God blesses you and speaks to you and encourages you. Uh, If this is your first time uh, listening uh, the format of our show is really a conversation. We have, we are two friends that love to talk about the Lord, uh, about the Bible, and uh, we have a cup of hot tea or or coffee nearby, and so it's kind of a relaxed relaxed conversation. But we like to go in depth with the scriptures and see what the Lord leads. Uh, if you have not had a chance to listen to part one, this is actually part two of our conversation we started uh this past week about the resurrection of jesus christ and why it why it really matters you can go and listen to part one at passionforhisword.com or you can listen to our other broadcasts we have done in the past and so uh part two we'll, we'll do that today and so first of all um cl how you doing, brother? I'm doing well. How All right. are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It's uh it's a beautiful day here. I've got my my tea nearby and uh, scriptures open and excited to see what the Lord will speak and just just been praying that God really ministers to people out there. So, absolutely. Um, uh, as you stated, our goal is to
1: address the importance of the resurrection. As Dr. Habermas has argued, even skeptics now um, uh, have agreed uh, in lieu of the overwhelming evidence yes. that there is no question as to the veracity of the existence of the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, that is a known fact historically and accepted both in liberal and conservative circles. Yeah. Um, secondarily, that he died is a matter of historical fact. Uh, and third, which will be very surprising to many, that uh, he was raised from the dead. Yeah, uh, and, and, be- and, and one? Because it is a well-established uh, historical fact. It has uh, very good uh, legal establishment, if you were looking at it from uh, the perspective of evidence. Uh so so we are not undertaking an effort to argue whether or not he was raised. We're right. actually undertaking an effort to argue what was the importance of right. the resurrection. So we're
0: not we're not saying we're not trying to prove the resurrection. Correct. Is what you're saying. Correct. That's no, a not. different discussion. For That's a different, a different discussion. And and Gary Dr. Gary Habernas, he he basically he said uh and I'm kinda just interjecting with what you're pointing out here is he kind of says well what's the the critics out there who don't accept that as far as the evidence of the resurrection or even certain scriptures and he took their own arguments and their own okay we'll take we'll accept these scriptures not these he'll take he took the ones that they accepted and, and still was able to say well the resurrection is still able to happen but that's a whole other discussion that's a whole absolutely and, and at the end of the day here's the thing is is you can be shown all the evidence in the world um, you could be Thomas in the first century and have the disciples and the ladies, Mary, the various Marys that were followed Jesus say, Hey, we saw the Lord alive and still not believe. And he was there at the same time. You can have eyewitnesses tell you to, the, to your face, Hey, we saw the Lord and you still, so my point is you could be somebody that's showing all the evidence in the world about the resurrection. And for some reason you choose not to believe. And so, the broadcast today is really not about proving the existence of the resurrection the broadcast really is okay so why does it matter what what does the resurrection change what what changes because of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and obviously that's a a huge topic you know to talk about in just a couple hours and uh, we did last time we we did define what what we mean When we say resurrection wh- what what exactly is it you know and was it not you know and you know, when we think, you know, in the last time we defined that resurrection has to do with bodily resurrection, has to do with the resurrection, the raising again of somebody's body, not necessarily the living after you die. In other words, somebody dies and they still are living with the Lord, let's say, in heaven. That's not resurrection. And we defined that last time. I don't know if you want to revisit that real fast. And, yeah, very quickly, um, Dr. N.T. Wright
1: Argues in his nine hundred page. Uh, work, I think it's like right? eight hundred some odd pages, but who's I lost oh, count? They're about right. It's it, a lot of pages. It, it, correct. <laughs> he he <laughs> argues that uh, resurrection is life after life after death. Right, and it is bodily in nature. Right, um, and it anticipates the raising of this self same body. Right, but not in its self same condition. Right, uh, the Apostle Paul would suggests that what is currently mortal will then be immortal. What is currently perishable will then be imperishable. Uh, The Apostle Paul goes further to argue uh, in lieu of the First Testament feast days, Leviticus 23, that Jesus Christ's body was a first fruit of sorts. That is, whatever kind... Uh, Of body he was raised with. We're going to follow after that kind or after that nature. So it was his literal body, it was his real body, it was his historical body, but a body that was no longer capable of death as it were. In other words, when the father raised him up, he raised him up with a permanence so that he had and has an indestructible life. He will never be able to revisit death personally as an experience ever again, and so also the believer's body.
0: Amen, amen. Now, we read, let me just address it again. We were actually were reading from 1 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, <coughs> sort of as a, as a basis to our discussion, although the Lord can allow us to go to other scriptures as well. He's, you know. But 1 Corinthians 15, um, Paul actually talks the whole chapter about the resurrection, and uh, I want to read uh, perhaps the scripture again. And in First Corinthians 15, he says, "Now I make known to you, that, uh, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures." and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were to one untimely born, he appeared to me also." For I am the least of the apostles, who am not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, not, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, How do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is in vain, or is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised... Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are men most to be pitied. Now, I'm going to stop there. And he continues with the rest of the chapter with sort of the nature of the resurrection. You know, what what, what kind of body we'll get. And you sort of alluded to as far as the um, a body that doesn't perish but the, you know um, a body that's that's sort of um, similar but yet there's something new about it you know and obviously um, the body that Christ inhabits now the new resurrection body um, there's a physicality to it but yet there's a, there's there's something about it that you, that doesn't decay you know there's a lot of things about it and he goes on to the rest of the chapter talking about that kind of thing but the real question of the matter is here in Corinthians, they were, they were Some of them, and perhaps some of them, were affecting the rest of them, because the rest is the you know he's like you know, if Christ is not raised, wait. Some of you are saying there's no resurrection. And he says, okay, let's assume that. Let's assume there's no resurrection. Well, if that's true, then Christ Himself has not been raised.
1: Well, again, he argues in the style of a first-century Latin right. legal argument, yes. right? And um, his style of argument is referred to as reductional ad absurdum, absurdum, right? So that he reduces this uh, argument to its logical, illogical conclusion right. by saying we must in fact stretch this out to see where this goes.
0: Bring it to a logical And logic, yeah. if
1: in fact we hold a doctrinal concept that when it is stretched out has an absurd conclusion, then we must beg the legitimacy of the original statement. Right. So really his rhetorical question, how can you say that uh, there is no resurrection is in fact by the Apostle Paul undone as he goes toward the end because you see the illogical, logicality of such an absurd argument. But what we've argued thus far um, in verse number 12 is now if Christ is preached uh, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, now I'm going to paraphrase, listen, Christ is the first victim, right? right? Because he hasn't been raised. And so we argued that last time. And then he goes on. And if Christ has not been raised, then... uh, our preaching is worthless or empty. Right. It is not a good, kind preaching. Right. It has, in fact, been a a message of decoy, right? It has right. wasted your time and kept you from the authentic message, whatever that message is. We argue that, but then
0: here's so, where we left off. Hold on, let me just introduce here, because what you're saying here and what Paul is saying here, if you're thinking about... If you he says, if there's no resurrection, then your preaching is in vain. It's worthless, which which tells you that that the sort of foundation, the key element in their preaching was the resurrection of Jesus. No, that's that was the that was the that was the 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 piece that held it all together. That was the 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 the, the crux, the foundation, whatever you want to call it, of their preaching. Um, which you actually see this in the Book of Acts. You see every time they're preaching in the Book of Acts, the resurrection is is key. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is key. It's the and it's the one thing when he brings up, when Peter brings it up or Paul brings it up, it gets them into trouble. You know they're like Paul, you're out of your mind. You know you're talking about the resurrection, and so it's the, it's it tells you that if you can in one sense take the resurrection away, you've you've basically ruined the message and the the foundation of the message and the the thing that holds it all together and it makes it different um, than uh, if, if, if you do that, then Christianity is out the door. Well, let's, let's, it, it
1: deserves the question being asked, John. Um, um, How does that work, right? Um, And and first I think we need to discuss what was the purpose of miracles, signs, and wonders in the First Testament and in the Second Testament. How does it work? What do you mean by that? I I mean this, in other words, when we're talking about it's the it's the substratum, the foundation, right. the basis upon which things either rise or fall, right. uh, why is that the case? Well, again, we need to discuss the nature or purpose of miracles, signs, and wonders in the First Testament and in the New Testament or the Second Testament. And here was the purpose. When uh, God gave Moses right. the ability to work miracles right. or signs or wonders, it was intended to be an affirmation or an attitude. Testation to the legitimacy of the message right. and the work which God was sending the servant to accomplish in his name as right. a kingdom representative, if right. you will. And so if there was in the first testament no authentication of that via miracles or signs or wonders, then it begged the legitimacy
0: of the message. Now it's important well, Hold to- on Yes. And I'm just interjecting again. Go ahead. When you when you you know, we're talking about Okay, if if the miracle has, has not occurred, then the message is really ineffective.
1: Yes, but in That's the in the, the the message was was not of God, right? Uh, of course, uh, you had to be careful uh, on both ends, right? Because the Deuteronomic text suggests that uh, if Poss- you have signs, right. The signs, again, remember, are meant to cooperate and coordinate with the message. Right. You can't have a sign as a miracle that comes to pass, right. but then have a fallacious message that's inconsistent Right, so with they have to Torah. go together. They have to go together. They must work together. Right. Right? And so that's the way that it worked all throughout the First Testament. But in the Second Testament, you see the exact same thing, that God, in fact, affirms the legitimacy of Jesus Christ's message right. via his signs. Miracles and wonders, right? But then his message is also a biblical message, consistent, if you will, with the first testament, um, and it works the same way for the apostles and New Testament pro- uh, prophets. So, so here's what is at stake, right? What is at stake is this, namely, um, if in fact Jesus is giving us this message, right? And if in fact the First testament prophets are giving us this message then the the main miracle of the whole of scripture not just a subclass miracle right this but is the, the this the is the miracle main miracle of right. all of scripture right. that validates not simply the other teachings of scripture but validates the the key personality yeah. to which all of the first testament points is in fact the resurrection and it points to jesus so if jesus is invalidated
0: right and if
1: his being resurrected is invalidated then nothing
0: stands but you, know, you can add to that because not only does the resurrection validate jesus's message you think about jesus he does things he does miracles that aren't recorded before correct people getting sight again you know, people. Okay, obviously, there's recording of of, of, of somebody being raised uh, in the Old Testament, but but the na- the nature of the miracles he brings is new. Let's say
1: yes, but but you don't have someone being raised John 11 after four days. No, no, and you do so, not have someone in mm-hmm. John 9 who has never
0: seen before, right? Uh, being able to right, see, right, right, yeah, and so so you have these nature, the the nature of the miracles he, he he does performs is on a new level. But then you have the you have the resurrection if the resurrection does not happen then it even negates even those miracles as well and the message that he incorporates with his teachings as well it's it's the teaching you know it's not just it's the teaching that he, he teaches and the power that he he speaks with you know it's his words are backed up you see that in time after time you know he goes into a synagogue and he speaks the word and people are challenged demons are, are cast out you know, miracles are happening. They all go together. If for some reason his resurrection does not happen, then all of that is negated as well. All of that has to be reduced to a magician's
1: craft or right. parlor tricks, right. if you will. Um, and that's why I'm saying that all of those miracles really collapse into a dependence upon this major miracle. Right. And this major miracle, uh, all of the other miracles were, if you will, sub-affirmations from the Father. But this is the main
0: quintessential you know, critical affirmation from the Father. And and his miracle of the resurrection is key to even when the apostles go forth. When they go forth and they do miracles with people, you know, hey, you know, here's Peter and John going to the temple, here's somebody, you know, a hey, silver and gold I don't have, but what we do have, in the name of Jesus Christ, you know, rise and walk, and things like that, where miracles are happening, adding further attestation, of validity to their message because of the power that God has given to them, because of the resurrection. Because if the resurrection doesn't happen, there is no coming of the Holy Spirit. There's no there's no there's no next chapter, right? There's 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 the death, burial, and then that's it. Then there's then there's nothing that happens afterwards. There's no empowerment by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two. There's no growth of the church. There's no you know just continue on the the whole church age. There's no there's maybe a gathering of people to remember, but I don't think you even have that. I don't think you would have even churches being around because the disciples are all dejected after the the, the burial of Jesus. They thought that he was the the hope, you know, and that it turns out he's dead. If he's still dead, they don't form churches. Well Jesus
1: then is relegated to the to the um, elite group of dead rabbis, right. who had a who had um, uh, an informative message to be sure, but not a transformative not transformative message, not life changing. Right? And and secondarily, when the apostles speak of him or when they pray, they are not speaking in the past tense, as though in the name of Jesus, who is dead, gone, passed on, right. and in remembrance of him. Right. No, 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 they're speaking of him in a very Life context in a lively context, so that the nature of their of their employment of his name and his power yeah. anticipates his right now activity, right. his present activity, um, and and that's not just affirmed by adherence. That's actually affirmed by individuals who are standing in opposition of him who in fact do not want to believe right. and in
0: fact are working completely contradistinctive to the Apostle this Paul. movement, the Apostle Paul. So so here's the thing is then you have in one sense, not only the the, the preaching vein, the faith in vain, but the, the fact that there is no change of life for people who are, there's no U-turns The Apostle Paul being one of them, obviously, and I'm sure there's others who who are in the same boat, they were against God, and then somehow God reached into their life and turned them around. That does not happen without the resurrection. You can't have you can probably have people becoming quote unquote good moral people, you know, but there's no there isn't this here's the thing about the resurrection, and this maybe we'll get to this in a few minutes, is that the resurrection itself, Seal, is it introduces something in a sense, brand new. It does indeed. It doesn't introduce a sense of, oh, we've done this before. It's been rehashed, repackaged, you know, um, and we're still, but we're, but the end of the result is still the same. Like, for example, you have Jesus raising Lazarus Lazarus from the dead, right? After four, being four days dead, right? Or he's raising the, the the widow from Nain, her son, you know? Well, in one sense, they're being raised by Jesus, but their raising by Jesus is different than the resurrection. Because when Lazarus arises by Jesus four days after his death, guess what happens to Lazarus sometime later? Well, in chapter later? 12, they're seeking to kill him again. They're seeking to kill him, but Lazarus eventually dies. That is correct. So the nature of his resurrection, quote-unquote, four days after his death, is different than the nature of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because their, his resurrection does not... Um, lead to something different about him. He's he's still the same person, and he will still get sick, and he still ends up dying, and, and goes to be with the Lord. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ introduces something new into the equation. That is, oh, there's something imperishable here. There's there's a new life here. There's a, a new body. There's a new hope. There's there's something that has not been seen before in the sense that now there's something new that God is adding. And that, I think, is, is probably one of the main keys about the implications of the resurrection is in God just rehashing things and, th- and death will still have victory over it. It's known Jesus Christ has been raised in such a state that not even death will, will will kill him again and decay won't happen to him again. And the same thing that happens with Jesus, with his, his imperishable body, will happen to the believer at the, at, uh, at, the, at the resurrection of, of all the believers at the end. yeah. So there's a new, there's a new element I'm trying to say. Oh, you know?
1: absolutely, absolutely. There's a distinct element that was not in fact, whilst it was addressed in First Testament yeah. and anticipated, it was addressed and anticipated in a way that they did not expect. Well, think
0: about this. What's the first miracle of Jesus? John two, the miracle at Cana, to okay. turn the water and into wine. And what is wine. the okay, so he turns water into wine. Well that's a new thing, right? But what is the the, the guy say uh, the, the 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 guy in charge of all, all the festivities? He says you've saved the best for last. Yeah, normally normally you take the, the put the best one out first and leave the, the, the worst wine for later on. But now this is and this goes along with the new wineskins, old wineskins, the new there's something new God is doing Yes, along the lines of things have been talking about in the Old Testament, but now there's something brand new, and I think the resurrection is is as we, as we as we're pointing to here is going to be the absolute key, the attestation that everything that Jesus has talked about and taught and done has reached its okay. Will this continue? Will this will this be will this be just a uh, you know a, a, a temporary thing, or is there something different about this? And I think that's what we're kind of pointing to. Absolutely. So he says in
1: verse number uh, 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Now, Mm -hmm. I I want to very quickly and carefully point out that, in fact, this lie in uh, connection with verse number one through verse three. Yeah. Because he says in verse one, yes. now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you. Right. So Paul says on one hand I preached this to you, but on the other hand, if in fact the resurrection is invalid, what I preach to you. Right. And by
0: implication what others preach to you is absolutely worthless. And you know he even says this he says, I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. Don't you notice he doesn't say what jesus told me the implication here and the structure of these verses the following verses is an early early hymn that he had received um i think uh, uh um i think it was gary havernas dr Habernas also argues that the origination of this hymn probably ha probably originated within months of jesus resurrection that is correct within at least 1 to 2 years that that is that is that's early. You know, you're looking at timelines of, you know, of historical things being written down. There's nothing that compares to the New Testament. You know, you have other ancient documents writ- being written hundreds of years after the author wrote them, and here you're talking with a matter of months to a year, probably months of this hymn, and by the time it got written down, maybe a year or so later, but the point is, my point is that is that Paul is delivering what the, he received from them, and he says, if 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 the resurrection doesn't happen, even that—that that goes way back then, to to before—I mean, or go, goes back before to where uh, before Paul uh, became a believer—that's really early. Then early on, it got got it wrong basically, and early on, we got the wrong message. Well, that affects the rest of the the rest of the thing. Well, well please appreciate how how this is collected, because when you're—you know—I can't at say that word. Appreciate, you know, I, I can't see it too well, but you pull it off really, really well. But anyway, I, I do appreciate that. <laughs> A- acknowledge favorably okay.
1: <laughs> how, how this information is collected. By the way, um, scholasticism and academia throughout time. It is is basically forced to admit by the nature of Paul's uh writing and the nature of his argumentation that this is data being collected by a true scholar right right this is a this is a well-studied academician. so he's not frivolous he's not just collecting this uh as one uh, who is uh, guilty of easy believism right um, um it, it, the nature of his writing, the style of his writing, the content of his argumentation will not allow us to, to believe that concerning Paul. Right. It, secondarily, he's not the only one who collects data in this way. Right. Luke collects right. data in right. this way. And so we have masterful academicians collecting this data. So Paul is not readily victimized by just frivolous stories that are going about. Yeah. This guy is a researcher extraordinaire of the first class. Secondarily, this guy is one of the best people to argue for this because, again, he's not a first century adherent earlier, right? right? He's actually an opponent of this so if you're looking at academic speak right uh, your argument is is aided by individuals who share your convictions right. but if in fact you have an opponent yes. who is brought over to your yes. side yes. by means of the objective evidence right. that actually strengthens Th- that your strengthens argument that strengthens your
0: argument that's where paul See, starts and that's the thing about it is is the fact that you have somebody like the apostle paul previously saw I mean, I just was thinking about this. How do you get a guy who is an enemy of of the of the Lord? No, suddenly turn, and it took the guys even a while to accept to accept them. They said, "This is Saul. You know, isn't he the one who wanted to kill us all?" And all of a he's and they were skeptical. You know, they weren't receiving of him. How do you get those? You get people, um, the apostles versus the, the now the apostle Paul. Previously, Saul. Previously, an enemy of Jesus. Now on the same page, and preaching the same gospel, you have—if you have somebody that, like, that at one time wanted your movement to die, to end, and to die, now all of a sudden trying to support it, well, that's not—it's not like you went and, and decided to to pay him off and say, "Paul, would you please write these words in our favor and we'll pay you a lot." Of money. No, no, no—that—that that doesn't happen. Yeah, you yeah, know, it, it, he's in, he's a previous enemy and gives more attestation to wow, something really must have happened for him to be, for of all people, he's probably the last person they would have thought on earth that would have been able to you know, do Absolutely. this. Absolutely, and and so someone might uh,
1: certainly raise the question, okay, so so he's an adherent now, right? right? But let's beg the legitimacy of his witness because he was a murderer, right? right. Well, you have to understand the class of murderer that Paul was, and sometimes preachers... And individuals wanting to be quite loose, irresponsible, and fanciful with their lang- their language will say he's a murderer, right? So he's in the class of murderers. Right. So you have to beg right. the question of of the the character or the reliability of the kind of witness that we're bringing to the forefront. Let, let's stop for a moment. Paul is not just um, an independent murderer, right? Um, uh, he's not in that class. Paul is a sanctioned murderer. Yeah. Now, let's understand let's, what that yeah. means. Explain He's that. along the same uh, level of murderer or or killer, if you will, as an individual who has been sanctioned legally right. as a soldier or sanctioned legally as an individual to see to the carrying out of the death penalty. Right. What Paul is struck by not is not that he has just a murderous heart or a violent heart. Paul is struck by the idea that he was on the wrong side of the law here, Right, that he was on the wrong side of the event, that he was in fact sanctioned to carry out the the, the demolishing or the attempted demolishment, if you will, of, of Christianity and of those adherents uh, of one Christus, if right. you will. Right. Uh, but when he realizes, oh my goodness, I was seen to the death penalty, to the arrest uh, of individuals who actually were accurate here,
0: then he's struck by that. So he's not an invalid witness. Okay, so let's sort of bring this down because we're talking about, in one sense, we're talking about the attestation of, of the message he preached, you know. But underlying all that and sort of maybe by implication is we're actually, as part of maybe part of the implication of the resurrection, is that somebody's life was actually changed. In other words, that the Apostle Paul, if the resurrection does not happen, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen, then you don't have Jesus Christ visiting the Saul of Tarsus, and you don't have Saul of Tarsus become Paul, which means you don't have Paul going out preaching, writing letters, half the New Testament written by Paul. You don't have any of that stuff. And by the way, it's when his life was
1: changed. He wasn't a seeker. No. Because he didn't think he had any sort of thing to seek for. Um, and, and and he's not questioning. He's not in a crisis of his faith. He is absolutely certain that he's right. Right. And it's in the middle of that that he is struck by the stunning power of and person of the resurrected
0: So that's, my, my, that's my point, really, is... is I guess you could say a very significant implication of the resurrection of Jesus is the power and ability of God to change somebody from a Saul to a Paul, from an enemy to now an, you know, to, uh, to not a point, uh, but um, proponent of, of the faith. Yes, There's a, and of course you see that in, within Paul's writings about he struggles with the fact that, you know, he wants persecuted the church and, you know and he's like I'm the least of the apostles I'm not even worthy he struggles with that his entire life but he but he still knows who he is you have the power of 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 listen if you have somebody in your life that you are wondering can this person ever change apart from Christ they can't change apart from the power of the, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ working their lives, they will be the same person. They will be the same leopard with the same spots, with the same tendencies, you know? But you introduce the, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, that person can change, not on their own, but because of God. And that's evidence, is that change lives, change a changed person. You know, when they met Paul and they say, you're not the same person that you once were, and that puzzled them, that gave proof not just proof of the resurrection but the huge implication that listen if you have tried everything there is to change your life and it's the same is because nothing is nothing new has been introduced with Jesus Christ, there's something brand new. Well, I actually want to play off of the verb and say
1: that person can not only change, because Paul didn't seek to change right. um, initially. I want to put it in the passive, right? The action yes. is done up on the recipient. Yes. That person can be, can changed, be changed by a risen, living christ right so no matter how hopeless they are the living christ has the capacity and ability to change the most apparently unchangeable opponent
0: of christianity let me just bring that a little further because if you're if you're thinking okay i know that god can change this person or he can change me or it's god you're you're being changed by god or this believer is being changed by god in one sense that sort of that sort of allows you or gives you the permission to take your hands off of a person in other words sometimes we try to change a person let's say we're a believer and we say god can you please change this person and then we try to be the instrument of that change And that it frustrates us because nothing we do, nothing we say works because we are trying to be the agent of that change. And God says, listen, take your hands off and I'm the one who can change it. And God does a work in somebody's life and heart that is unseen to our natural eye, but it's definitely done. And he does it in such a way that it's sort of, it's almost like, you know, um, uh, it happens sort of. Maybe not without, with without you really realizing that you that God's doing that work. My point is, if it's God doing the change in a person, then God is more affected than than you and I trying to change somebody else, or you and I change our, trying to change ourselves. It is okay, Lord. Then you do the work. So Jesus says um, about Paul. He says he is my instrument. Right. He will be my. He is my chosen instrument to bring this message to the to the to the world and Gentiles and everything else. He changes the Apostle Paul. He does something in the Apostle Paul that wasn't there after years of following the law, years of being a Pharisee, years of of being dedicated at at being religious that got him nowhere, suddenly now Jesus Christ changes him. I guess my point is, maybe I encourage somebody out there just to say, "Allow God." To do that change, you know, let him be the agent of the change in the person, because he will do a better job and more thorough job, and and it'll be more effective than you either you and I can uh, can do in our own. Well, let me restate that in a very yep. terse manner. You can if, terse if it may. up
1: if you want. It, so. I'm looking at the belligerence, the obstinance, yeah. the, the lack of cooperation of the individual who I've sought to change yes. over all these years. Yes. So what does God bring uh, to the table in order to uh, bring transformation uh, in their lives? Nothing less than the same power that raised a dead Jesus from the grave. Yeah. Uh, that extraordinary power is what is available in fact, may I go beyond the impersonalized language of what? Yeah. Is who is available? Right. In order to bring about change in the toughest individual. And right. of course, we not only offer as um, uh, exhibit A evidence. Saul, Saul, who becomes Paul, but we offer the lives of multitudinous Christians to date who were not intending on being cooperative subjects of the king, but found themselves being
0: captives. What what does Jesus say to the guys on the seashore? He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. These are guys who are fishers of fish, rough and tough, out in the seas, out in the lake of, of Galilee. And they're not people winning people. They are fish catchers, you know. And he says, I will make you fishers of men. There's the difference there. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that stops at his burial, it doesn't continue on for the rest of their story or even to, into the history. Absolutely. So so when we look at this verse, again,
1: what you have is this connection betwixt verses 1 through 3 with where we are in uh, verse 14. Of course, again, uh, I addressed the aspect of the preaching, but also it is necessary to address the aspect of the faith yes because of course the apostle says in the earlier verses so it's not just something that we preached to you and you received this this argument of the action of the faith right yeah, uh, and, and they continue to stand in it. But notice the result of the faith in verse 2, by which also you are saved, right, right? If, you be, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, unless you believed emptily right. or in a worthless fashion, unless it was um, pretense, right. if you will. So when the Apostle Paul revisits this now in verse 14, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain but the faith that Prec- you heard us preach right. to you, uh, the faith that was preached, namely the doctrinal content, but then he goes further because it's more than just that he's arguing, but that doctrinal content produced something that caused you to be a recipient by trust and you now stand in that and that is the very,
0: very thing by which you are saved. Well, let, me, let me just interject. Let's just, let's just think about this. If, I, if we preached in vain, then your faith is in vain, right? Which means that your faith is in response to our preaching. Correct. Which means the content of the preaching is crucial, right? Which means that there could be all kinds of messages going out there and people you know, hearing certain messages or hearing certain teachings and having a faith of sorts as response to that teaching. But if that if that teaching in and of itself is not foundationally grounded into the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ it is worthless teaching and it's worthless faith in other words it's not going to be um, worthwhile to have that's that's huge implications that is absolutely huge implications because we like you on a Sunday morning you're not gonna I hope I will um I will protest and walk out if you preach a message that is contrary to the scriptures brother you know because because you and I know that that the, the quality or the message that we preach or teach has to be grounded in reality and truth. And if it's not, we are leading people astray. Well, Paul would say something far more, um, yes, um,
1: drastic than yes. that. He would say, "Before you get up and exit, that I should, in your thinking, fall into the ca- class of one who is accursed by God. Yeah, because I don't deserve an audience. I don't right. deserve a hearing. I, in fact, deserve to be cursed and cut off by God, so that in fact no one will have to deal with hearing me again. Right, because I am giving fallacious propaganda.
0: Yeah, and he even says that that's. The the, probably the next point about about hey, listen if 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 it's true that your your preaching is vain the faith is vain that means. We as apostles are a bunch of liars. Yes, but
1: but before we get to that, I think that this is important, John, because he says this, he says, our preaching is in vain, your faith is also in vain. Here's the interesting thing, however, there is an aspect that lay behind that, that one would have to appreciate from the Johannine gospel, right? And the idea is this. the gospel of John. Yes. (laughs) The the idea is this, that it's not just what we've preached and you believed. Right. No. There is a power behind our preaching. Right. And there is a power behind your believing. Right. And that is the convicting or the convincing of the Holy Spirit. What we would have to admit is if this message is false, that was not in fact the Holy Spirit who was bringing about a conviction of truth. Right. That is a false spirit. Now, I want to just stop and and move this to the side for a moment because something must be said. For every false message that is being propagated, whether behind the pulpit or otherwise, that is not the spirit of God. That is a false spirit that is convicting and convincing people of the lies that are being propagated or pushed, right? Let me be more direct than that, right? Um, um, So so it is not sufficient for an individual to say that um, uh, a burning in the bosom Mm. as pushed by mormonism no matter how nice the community right no matter how friendly how how familial they make good they're good neighbors yeah how familiarly sensitive and or engaging they are there's a false spirit behind right. that right. That's it's not the holy because Spirit because the basis is subjunctive to your feeling right and and so if there is a troubling in your gut uh, that troubling in your gut must not in fact be equated with the person and power and presence of the Holy Spirit right. who is the convincer behind the message, right? Right. And, and so I think that several things are working here together. Paul is actually arguing something. It's a false spirit then that was behind our preaching. Right. It's a false spirit that convinced you and it's a false but, spirit that is in fact pushing you to this very day. So so that in fact he is keeping you in a state or status but of carry
0: false belief but carry this on to the to the, to the to the sort of the logical conclusion of that if you're believing or preaching a false message and it's causing a false faith the result is going to be false as well in other words the preaching of Christ has always been about the the, the kingdom of god and who Jesus Christ is the son of god and things he set out to do right if his resurrection doesn't happen, then all of that teaching is null and void, which means that, that all of his teaching and all of his works have to sort of be legitimized, and they're legitimized in the resurrection. They say, the resurrection says, here, everything I have taught, everything I've done, is verified by the fact that now I'm, I'm raised from the dead, and death has no more victory over me, and if death doesn't have victory over me, it will not have victory of those who are in me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ affirms sort of the newness of life that Jesus talks about, right? He talks about him being the the light of the world and and, and, and in him is life. Uh, the scripture talks about that um, there's a new, there's sort of like the, the things uh, he says to the woman at the well. He says, listen, you're going to drink of this, this well water and become thirsty again. But whoever believes in me, I will give them water so to speak spiritual water that will fulfill and satisfy and will f- change their life entirely right speaking of the holy spirit and in the life uh, the, uh, in Christ with Jesus Christ with his teaching with what he does and then with the affirmation and the legitimization leg- leg- by the resurrection of his message what you now have is something brand new being introduced to the world so to speak you have a new life, you have something that is not the old carry-on, it's the new wineskins as opposed to the old wineskins. It's it's a um, something that's new, introduced, that then lasts forever, right? It isn't just a raising up of our body and then keeping our same old body to live forever. And I don't, I don't know about you, I'm going to be 49 this year. I hope to God that my new resurrection body is... 25 years old, let's say. <laughs> but can you imagine if 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 the resurrection does not happen or the resurrection isn't to the point of bringing something new that we are raised up with our same old body we died in? Can you imagine living in that for the rest of your life? I don't know, but I, I, to me, there's a there's a there's a newness. I guess I'm trying to say um, in what Christ brings that is. That um, it's new, I guess you could say. It gives weight
1: to the to the text in the Book of Revelation. Behold, I make all things new.
0: Yes, 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 and that's and talking about implication is okay. We're talking about like sort of personal implications, but let's just think about the resurrection. It also proves who Jesus Christ really is, because it proves that Jesus Christ is the Messiah of the world, which means it proves that He's the Lord. Which means that also proves it has implications for things like government, things like leaders, people like leaders, um, that you know that ultimately all things will be brought under his leadership, under his rule, under his authority, right? Well, it begs the question if he was honest
1: about that, right what else was he honest about and right. since that is the most critical thing that is an affirmation of the father concerning his veracity then i think we can be certain that all of the things
0: will be true about him namely the government will rest upon his shoulders it will, yeah think about this we complain about politics and po- you know leaders you know they're all whatever you know and be think about why is it that Paul, in his letters, never complains about the leaders of, the, of his world at that time? You know, the Caesars that were, were, weren't were that great, right? Uh, who were persecuted persec- Christians. Why is it that their message was never, let's try to seek to usurp their throne? Because he knew, he trusted in the fact that Jesus is Lord, and that ultimately all the governments and all the governors and all the leaders will have to bow down to him and subject himself to him. In other words, he knew that was taken care of eventually, you know? It wasn't something that that uh, he had to try to seek to change, because that changing who's in the seat now doesn't change anything. Eventually, Christ will make it so that all of that is under his direct rule and authority, and so Paul under, understood that. That's a huge limitation for the resurrection, because if the resurrection does not happen, then there is no... Authority to to be substituted. There is no Messiah or, or King to to have that be brought under. And so anyway, I'm just you know, did I lose you on that one? No,
1: no. I think what you're saying is that all things that have been said concerning Christ all depend on Him being alive, right? Having right. been raised from the dead, right? And that uh, involves not only the newness of life now eternal, which is quite invisible and uh, yet is true within the believer, but it also uh, addresses our own personal eschatology, the nature of whether or not we will get up from the grave. It also addresses the world to come, whether or not he will be the supreme sovereign ruler of a a new government, whether or not he is the fulfillment of the stone uh, that came and knocked down the colossal figure in the
0: book of Daniel, yeah. and whether or not he shall reign forever. You know, Absolutely. Let me just dovetail on the the whole newness aspect, and I know um, Paul talks about in 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 Romans. Actually, I know we were in First Corinthians, but <laughs> in Romans, uh, uh, chapter uh, chapter six, and he says in verse four that therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead. Through the glory, uh, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life, and that word for newness is a is uh, talks about has a connotation of something new and extraordinary. So there's an introduction because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's an introduction of a new quality or type of life that can be lived um, as as believers, you know, in Christ that would not be there. If Christ is not raised from the dead, there isn't this new quality and aspect to life that you know. It's like you talk to the person who used to be given into anger or used to be given into all sorts of temptations, right? And then God sets them free, and it's like I don't have that desire anymore. God has changed my heart. I tried and tried to to get away from this this uh, this this thing that that held me down, and God changed my heart. So uh, and and I don't have that desire anymore. I don't have that uh, the inclination to Go, you know, to these places and, and you know, and have that temptation to get into that sin, something happened inside, and I can't explain it. Well, that's because of the resurrected Jesus Christ, you know, who is who who would not have been able to do that if he's still in the grave. And that's a microcosm of the that's, macrocosmic
1: results, yeah, that will ensue as a result of him being the resurrected Lord. Exactly, exactly.
0: Yes. So, anyway, I unpause or, un, you know, reconnect back to your First Corinthians, you know, <laughs> you know, agenda or whatever you want to <laughs> say. Well, no, I, Paul
1: also says something that is very important here that we would be remiss to look over, and that is that faith is not just faith in faith or faith for the sake right. of faith, that faith has to indeed and in fact have an object. Yes. And if the object is wrong, the faith is worthless. Yes. Right? And in this particular case, he says, if the object of your faith, namely, the person of Christ who you are suggesting has not been raised from the dead, is the object of your faith. Well, then your faith is worthless. Well, you just slammed all the other religions of the world. Necessarily, yes. so I think, yeah. because um, um, again, it's not just belief for the sake of belief. Because right. you believe something really, really hard. I'll, I'll never parenthetically forget the day when um, uh, Jehovah Witnesses came to uh, the door of our uh, a place that we were staying in at the moment, and uh, they came in in friendly uh, terms, uh, and they came. Uh, with some familiarity, they actually recognized my uh, wife and I, Sweetie and I, and uh, one lady was quite emotive, right? She was overwhelmed with emotions, and she was really belaboring the point that she wanted to really see us converted to Jehovah Witness, and she was in tears. uh, To wit, my wife, with great godly, spirit-filled discernment that almost hinged on God-ordained mercilessness, right, (laughs) responded to her kindly, uh, but honestly, and uh, said to her, I appreciate your emotions, but your emotions are um, uh, pointed toward the wrong thing. Right. Uh, it's it's fallacious at root. And if it's fallacious at root, yeah. then it doesn't matter how many tears you cry and how your voice breaks and how emotional you've become concerning this. In fact, it is empty because it is not biblical. And, and so I think it's important that Paul says here, your faith necessitates an object and that object has to be accurate and the accuracy of that faith is not a dead lord but a risen lord that's the only thing that makes faith
0: worth it right so let me just i guess summarize where we're at because there's a lot of implications and obviously cl we're not covering all the implications i mean you can write books about this right if there's no resurrection um but in this section of first corinthians 15 we've talked about Preaching is in vain, right? Uh, if there's no resurrection, then f- their faith or our faith is in vain. We're believing in something that actually didn't happen if the resurrection uh, did not occur. Uh, the apostles were a bunch of liars or wrote down a bunch of fairy tales if, if the resurrection does not occur or did not occur. Um, but then, the, like, I guess the fourth one is in, in verse 17. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins, that, I don't know about you, but that's huge because you know think about the, the atonement and uh, the sacrifice that did that Christ did, the sacrifice that Christ endured, right uh, on the cross and the, 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 be, be, the beatings, the, the bloodshed, that was all for nothing. If Christ doesn't rise from the dead, it was a waste of his time. because how am I supposed to know that my, my, my sins have been forgiven uh, and accepted by God if Christ is still dead?
1: well here's here's the thing that is is being argued um uh in fact, he didn't die innocent, he died guilty right um he didn't die righteous then I right mean, if he didn't die innocent, he certainly couldn't have died righteous um and and so legally, death has a right to him right, and obviously yet has claim. Uh, on him right. to this very day. We may not know where that body is. Maybe like some individuals have propagated, um, it's in a ditch someplace in an unknown grave or maybe it was eaten by wild dogs. But if in fact he wasn't raised, sin has a claim on him, right. which means it has a claim on everyone that supposedly his death was supposed to free. Right. Um, uh, so, So that's the weight of that. And if in fact it has a claim on him, we are yet, as we live and breathe in Ephesians chapter number two, we were not once dead in our trespasses and sins, right. we are yet tr- still dead in our yeah. trespasses and sins, and we are yet enemies of God. And we are yet guilty of cosmic treason. And there is no te- telesti. There is no the, the, the goal has been met or right. it has been finished right. or all has been paid, right? right? The idea is we are very much indebted. And in fact, we are behind on our payments. And we had better find whoever is the agent of forgiveness because we've
0: been committed to the wrong one. Now, here's the thing. And you bring up a good, good point. If Jesus's life is about just teaching us how to be a good moral person, then he endures things he doesn't have to endure if that's his goal, right? Well, if he failed, he's neither good nor moral. Well, here's what my point is, my point is is some people think that Jesus is just a good moral person. He was a good teacher, but he wasn't God. He was a good, you know, a good person, but he's not the Messiah. Well, if you follow that line of thinking, and then if, first of all, is that his purpose in his ministry? Is his goal just to be a good moral teacher? Is his goal just to teach, you know, clever things and, and insights about God? Well, if that's his goal, then okay, that's all it is. But isn't he, doesn't he say, I laid my life down for people, right? For the sheep and I rise it up, right? I came to seek and save that which was lost, right? Um, if that's his goal, To save the world, as John 3.16 talks about, you know, um, if that's his goal, um, he fails at that if he's not resurrected. Because if he fails to deliver us from sin and death, then what's
1: the point? Well, I think it's important to appreciate this. Namely, if we are yet dead in our sins... If that is our state and status, we are still actively guilty yeah. of being God's moral lawbreakers, and we are still anticipating the full thrust of consequences. The wrath I, the, of God. The, the, those two are very important. By the way, I think this is important. I want to mention this just as a caveat. Sometimes, as... as. Um, um, expository historians, because history is part of our responsibility, right, right? right? We can look at the cross and we can say, oh my goodness, the absolute tragedy of all that was done to Christ on the cross. And I right. don't want to undermine that, right? Isaiah 53, all four gospels and the horrendous atrocity and torture of of Calvary as an act upon the body of Jesus. Right. But if you think the cross was about that preeminently or primarily right. you missed it right we could not in our murderous atrocities have done more to jesus than the father did to him in his wrath right okay so so the wrath is the main subject of the cross right not the fact that we nailed his hands and feet and not the fact that we pierced him in his side it's, and beat him beyond uh, human it, recognition that's not what Jesus is afraid of in the garden it's the wrath of god it's the wrath of god so so here's what you have to understand and all of that is 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 assumed a replacement. That's why we refer to him as the vicarious one. Right. In, in Latin, he's the vacati. He, he took our place or he stood in our stead, right? Well, if in fact, he did not take our place, all of that wrath is not on Jesus because Jesus was not in fact an effective wrath bearer. So all of that wrath is yet our cup to drink, what caused him to experience hematidrosis in the garden? Right. Uh, it, bleeding, so that his. bleeding drops of blood. Yes. Uh, it, what caused him to, to go back three times and say, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. That is yet ours in full measure to partake of. Right. And, and by the way, if he couldn't do it in six hours on the cross, um, um you know, some people say that that when he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lamna Shabatani, my God, my God, why is thou forsaken? 22 that one, yeah. that's when all the sins of the world. no no, 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 yeah it, it, the sin of the world has to be on him before that because it is the very thing that causes him, Isaiah 53 to be bruised for, right right Bruce agrees, yeah. uh, the, the whole the whole experience in the garden, he's carrying that weight very early right and so but, in carrying that weight the whole of the psychological the spiritual the physiological
0: uh, he didn't satisfy so it is ours but, to satisfy and you got to think about this you got to think if god places his wrath on this innocent man who is not innocent if he's not raised well he's not well that's the question if he's if if he is you know as as Pilate says, I find no fault in this man, you know, and um, they had to make up things to find against the man. If God pours out his wrath on him um, and he's not raised, then there's no hope for us. Absolutely. There's absolutely no hope. There's no hope. And what what we witness him experiencing would be ours next in line, so to speak, which means that... um, Whatever promise of salvation or of of any kind of salvation uh, the scriptures taught would
1: not happen. Can you imagine the immediate frustration and flusteredness? Because he actually dares to say this from the cross to one of the thieves. Today... You'll be with me. Or this day, demonstrative pronoun, you'll be with me in paradise. Well, nothing could be further from the truth if he's not going to be raised. Right. Right? What's more... Those who have trusted him and entrusted themselves to him will not only not be in paradise. Right. They will be I mean, in hell, not for six hours under the wrath of God, right.
0: but for an eternity
1: under well, the wrath of God. think
0: about this. It, it not only makes the apostles liars, it makes him a liar. Here's here's why. Not only does he say, this day you'll be with me in paradise, if if he's not raised, he's not going to go into paradise. He's got the sins of the world. But he even says to, to Mary and Martha... Um, after after Lazarus is dead, and he's about to raise him up from dead. Um, he says, "I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrect. this is the claim by Christ. I am the resurrection and the life and if he's still dead, the promise of resurrection, the promise, promise not just of a future resurrection but the resurrection of of Lazarus at that that time but the resurrection of of people um at the end with uh, with the end at the eschaton. That doesn't happen. He's a liar. So everything, everything he has said and promised about himself, it is tied to the resurrection, his own resurrection. If he says, "Listen, no man takes my life. I lay it down, and I will raise it up on my own." court. I will, I, I lay my 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 life down, and I raise it up, um, and you'll be with me in paradise, or um, I will give life, eternal life to the you know." Doers believe you know that doesn't happen. It's in, in it's inextricably bound to him it's bound to his message. it's bound to his message but his message is bound to him raising from the dead absolutely everything is is predicated to that one event so I guess let me just summarize because we're, we're kind of way over time then we can talk about this for hours and hours and sort of in one sense we've taken a bunch of the implications from Paul here in first Corinthians 15 there's huge implications outside of of this book or uh, or Paul's writings that you can just think about, and um, perhaps you know, in the future we can do several weeks on something like this. But here in Paul, East, in 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking about their preaching was in vain, their faith was in vain because the preaching was in vain, therefore the faith was in vain. And then the apostles, if they're sharing the wrong things, they're a bunch of liars, which means that none of the things that they've written in the Scripture you can believe. Now, you just threw out the whole Bible, the whole New Testament especially, And if Christ, if he's not resurrected, if he's not raised up, well, then how do we know God accepted his sacrifice if he's still dead? Which means that if he's still dead, which means that his his sacrifice was not enough to pay for our sins, it means that we are still in our sins. Well, as Paul says, he says, if Christ has not been raised up, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Then he says, well, then if you're still in your sins, then those who have died before you, in christ have perished they're dead eternally they're they're eternally they're eternally dead which means that if they died
1: they're not in heaven right now well if they died believing this message yeah and it wasn't true the bible doesn't present to us a second chance no again this is where we have to lay in defiance of reincarnation yeah uh, this is where we have to stand in defiance of Mormonism yeah. and and a baptism for the dead after they didn't get it right or something of that sort. Right. Um, uh, it, what the Apostle Paul... Purgatory, was, maybe? I, I don't know. Yeah. We have to even go against Catholicist purgatorial yeah. concepts, right? All of that is flush because Paul says, those people have been ruined. Right. And in fact, this is so cruel that they have been ruined to
0: the degree that they don't have a second chance to get this right. Yeah. That's not nice. No, and the thing is, also, implication is that if he says that those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if the resurrection has not happened, he doesn't say, oh, that they'll have another chance where they're at now. They'll be able to do all kinds of penance and all kinds of gyrations and things like that to get them out. No, they have perished if Christ has not, which means that the the difference maker is not whether you say enough um, religious prayers... Um, after you die or somebody saying those for you or doing something for you after you die to help you out, which means that um, our our faith is, is not only worthless, it's pitiful, as he says. Yeah, but it looks two directions,
1: John, yeah. really. It, it it does this. They've perished, why? Because those poor folks, those poor wags died in their sin, Yeah, believing that they were forgiven yeah. and they weren't. But then here's the second thing. Those poor victims are not going to get up. Yeah. They're gone. Yeah. I mean, kiss them goodbye. There's there's no hope at the funeral home. There's right. no hope at the crematorium. There's no hope at the grave site. There's there's no hope at the crash site. There's no hope at the drowning site. There's no hope at at, at the bed of a
0: cancer patient or a stroke victim or a heart attack which, victim. Which because the resurrection has happened, as we're, we're arguing, that there ought to be hope. The person who has, if Christ has not been resurrected, then there's hopelessness.
1: Well, I want to revisit what you said in recording one in your analogy. Namely, you were talking about the seed in a watermelon. Yes. And when the farmer places that seed in the ground, the farmer stands over that seed with hope. Yeah. Now, that seed has to die and it has to germinate, but he he stands over that with the anticipation that something new is going to spring forth from something old and something that is dying, right? right? We ought to stand at the graveside or at the event wherein a believer has died with the same kind of anticipation and joy that the farmer
0: stands over the seed that has been planted in the ground. So let's just sort of in in closing and sort of in... uh, sort of wrap it up, because we've been talking about the implications if Christ has not been raised. Well, we believe that Christ has been raised, which means all of the things we talked about, let's reverse that. We have hope. Christ has been victorious. Death has been defeated. Sin has been de- done away with, with. The things that we are, you know, wondering, will I ever change? Will things ever, you know, if Christ has been resurrected, the answer is Yes. If Christ has been resurrected, there is a future. There is a hope. Um, the message uh, is truthful. Christ says, Christ is who said, he said he was, the Messiah, the Son of God. It affirms that um, if Christ, and since Christ has been raised, as Paul says, he's arguing um, in the opposite direction, if Christ has been raised, then we do have hope. Have hope. Um, we, there is eternal life. There is a f- eternal future, um, and, and, and God has attested to the fact that he has accepted the sacrifice, that Christ did not die in vain, that those believers who died beforehand did not die in vain. No, they died trusting in a living Savior, in a living God, in a living Messiah, who does give life to people, right? He gives eternal life, an eternal quality of life to somebody, Um, the resurrection is the hinge, so to speak. Absolutely. But I,
1: I think it's important for us to say this in closing. If we take verse 19 in the negative, then we need all the pity that we can get. Yes. We're the objects of pity. We are the most pitiful people in the world. Right. But if in fact what he's arguing is in the reverse. Yeah. Then the verse is actually arguing positively. Keep your pity. Right. Now this is the strength of this. So Paul, how did you die? My head was removed. Oh, how sad. No, no, no. Yeah. Keep your pity. Yeah, Pete, how did you die? Upside down on a cross. Oh, I'm so sad. That had to be the worst. Yeah. Keep your pity. How did some die? Through cancer. Yeah. Stage four, uh, through lung cancer, uh, uh, through through a massive heart attack, a widow maker, a, uh, um, a, a brain disease, a, a, an accident, death by sea, death by air, death by... Listen, Coptic Christians being blown up by ISIS, et cetera. And so you put us on the news and you parade us over a banner. How pitiful those poor people were someplace worshiping. Keep your pity. It doesn't end here for us. That's right. It's not over. You've done nothing more than send us to the ground like a group of seeds following the first of our kind. And, and as I said before, there is a Lord and Savior who stands above us saying, ah, they're in the ground now. That's right. Right? That, that body is in the ground. Now, their spirit is with me and there's an interim body, but 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 they're in the ground now. Now you may not even know the the nautical degrees at which they were buried, or you may have seen them go to the ground in the most horrendous, atrocious circumstances. But please, as a result of what happened with Christ, may I make this announcement?
0: Keep your pit. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Corr and C. L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for his word is truth.